0: Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Word Processing. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined with Josiah. Josiah, it's great to see you today. Good to see you. We are going to do a topical podcast today, and today I want to talk about The difference, if there is one, I'm sure we'll get there in a moment, between the idea of contentment and comfortability. I think over the years, much has been written about comfortability in the church, and I think it's usually from a bit of a negative standpoint. You know, I've heard the phrase, if you're comfortable, you're not working hard enough, or you're not trying hard enough, or perhaps if you're getting comfortable, that's probably the time when the Lord's going to shake things up in your life, or you can't be effective in ministry if you're comfortable. What do you think the Bible has to say about the idea of being comfortable? We'll get into contentment maybe a bit more in a few minutes, but talk to me about comfortability.
1: Well, I think it depends on what we mean by the words. Sure, let's start with the, the definition. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's probably I mean, the best place. It's clearly uncomfortable to kill sin in our lives, that's an uncomfortable endeavor to undertake. Uh, to have a posture of submission, which we're all called to have, Allah, Ephesians four and five, we are called to submit to one another, uh, submit in our relationships, submit to government. Those are uncomfortable things. Let's face it; that kills me to do that.
0: So, what do we? What are we saying is uncomfortable? Like unenjoyable? Doesn't feel nice? Yeah,
1: it's against my flesh. I think oftentimes mm. anything I'm called to do that goes against that primal instinct that we know as the flesh, as that sinful nature. Uh, it's uncomfortable. You know, and there's a lot of things in the Christian life to pursue unity in the body of Christ in spite of diversity can be uncomfortable. To serve others is uncomfortable. To offer our bodies as living sacrifices does not sound super comfortable to me. Even that claim by Paul, I don't think he was anticipating that being received with a great deal of awe and comfort in the hearers' hearts as they received it. But and we have to understand too, we don't want to forget that we are living in a very privileged country in a very privileged day and age. And so in many places in the world today and throughout church history, it was extremely uncomfortable to believe in Christ. Extremely uncomfortable. You know, they lost families and jobs and status and security and even their lives. So I don't know how you can say that it's always comfortable to follow Christ, if that's what we're talking about, that enjoyment or that ease of life. Certainly that it can't always be comfortable. I don't think comfort is necessarily a bad thing, mm-hmm. but we can't expect comfort in that sense to always be the case.
0: So given what the Bible says about suffering, given what even Paul says sure. about the thorn in his flesh, yeah. we, we are prepared for Thorn in the hardship. flesh,
1: example, yeah, yeah. And that was a messenger of Satan given to him by God. God allowed that to happen. So there was discomfort given by God's hand to one of his great servants in the Apostle Paul. Now, while we can't expect comfort at the same time though my relationship with god through christ is the greatest comfort i have Hmm. at the same time so again it depends on what we're talking about what we mean i have an advocate with the father i'm told even when i sin in first john it says that word advocate is comforter i have a comforter a go-between with the father which is incredible truth psalm 23 his rod and his staff they comfort me And you think of the rod and the staff, that's a picture of protection, but also discipline. So discipline is not comfortable, and yet at the same time, it is a comfort, knowing that my loving Heavenly Father disciplines and prunes me and moves me toward the place that he wants me to be, which is maturity. The Holy Spirit is called the Comforter or the Helper, the Paraclete in John 14, 15, and 16. 1 Thessalonians 4, when Paul writes to the believers and says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep. And he talks about the rapture being caught up to be with the Lord in the air. He then says, and he closes that section by saying, and comfort one another with these words. So again, I'm just illustrating the fact that it depends how we use the word. Are we called to be comfortable in that the walk of the Christian life is one of just perpetual ease? No. But at the same time, we have a great comforter with God. So both and maybe?
0: Yeah. It's interesting as you were going through that list, I was wondering if you were going to hit on the one that comes to my mind, which is 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, Mm -hmm. who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we'll be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted by God.
1: Oftentimes at a funeral or a graveside service, I'll oftentimes pray on behalf of the family in the morning, say, Heavenly Father, we're asking that you would be to us the God of all comfort and peace that you've promised to be. Sure. So at that time of extreme discomfort, we are requesting the God of all comfort to be exactly what he's promised to be. So it's both and.
0: Yeah, it's such an interesting idea because in that sense, when we are in distress, we seek after God's comfort as he promises to us. If he didn't want us to have it, he wouldn't promise it to us. Mm -hmm. And yet we also have this flip side, as you say, that if our whole life is comfortable or easy or suffering free, that should maybe raise some questions or, or flags in our head about what are we actually doing? Are we actually following Christ the way he demands to be followed if Things are easy for us. We're told even about how other people will view us, how other people will treat us, Mm -hmm. how people will be offended by the message of Christ in and of itself, turning people against one another. Mm -hmm. And so if our life is just kind of going through easy, perhaps we should be asking some questions, I guess, maybe.
1: Maybe, and I think also anyone who has experienced the comfort of the Lord, including you and I, would say that we experience that supernatural comfort because we were made to be uncomfortable in this life of following Christ.
0: Oh, so the contrast even, yeah.
1: Yeah, like if I'm not uncomfortable, maybe the world, the flesh, the devil pressing in on me, if I'm not brought to the end of myself, and that's an uncomfortable thing, to come to the end of my abilities, my resources, my time, all of those realities, if I don't come to the end of myself like that— then I'm not forced to trust in a God of all comfort, the God who can provide, the God who can say yet again, I'm here for you and I will give you all that you need. Because I'm stubborn and sinful, I have a propensity to white knuckle and hold on to the things I think will bring me comfort. And it's not until those are ripped away from my clenched hands that God can come in and show himself to be the God of all comfort. And so if we are going to experience that supernatural comfort, which Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And that is a reality not only now, but eschatologically in the end. If we're going to experience that comfort, sometimes the Lord has to loosen our grip a little bit by taking things away or allow that to happen.
0: And I mean, even from a simple logic perspective, we can't understand what comfort is unless we know discomfort. You can't feel that comfort from God unless you are in an mm-hmm. uncomfortable situation. And when we talk about that comfort, we're not even necessarily talking about it being made easy or being made un- uncomfortable. When we are comforted, it does not erase the pain. It does not remove us necessarily from our circumstances, but it's God being there for us in the midst of it and not allowing us to go through it alone as we walk through those sufferings
1: it is truly a peace that surpasses understanding. So even as we sit here and try to explain it, we're coming to the end of ourselves. If you've experienced that supernatural comfort in a time of turmoil, you know it surpasses understanding, that it doesn't make sense as you look back or even as you look forward to an anticipation for experiencing it. You're not sure how to articulate that. It's this supernatural sense of the Lord's presence, his protection, his provision. It really does surpass understanding.
0: I like that you happen to go to Philippians chapter 4, because I think that's where we're probably going to end up when I ask you, you know, let's talk about contentment. What does the Bible say about contentment? Maybe that's not where you went. but That's where my head goes.
1: I'll go to Philippians 4. I'll follow your lead. Oh, let's great, go to Philippians chapter passage. 4, then. <laughs> I you know, know I love the Philippians. <laughs> yeah. Good. Well, in Philippians 4, when we shift from comfort to contentment, I do think that they're, they're definitely related. But I think that they're distinct as well, and I think we'll see that as we study now contentment. So because you told me to, I'll go to Philippians chapter 4, <laughs> starting in verse 11. This is Paul writing, and he says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. So right away, we have some clues there that this contentment, it transcends circumstances. Yeah. It is not contingent upon what we're experiencing. And we also learn from that opening verse that it can be learned. Yeah. Paul learned contentment.
0: It's a process. He has trained himself to get to that point. Right.
1: And so that's encouraging to me. If I don't feel content at times, I can look to Paul and say, Paul learned this. And so I can even pray, ask the Lord to continue to teach me contentment, which is potentially a scary prayer because that involves probably some discomfort. <laughs> yeah, but there is this idea that Paul is saying, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. So neither are sinful. And he's content in both, having things and not having things. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And we've talked about this recently. This verse is often used out of context. And here we see the context he's struggling with contentment yeah to be content when he's got nothing And if you've read acts and you've seen the missionary journeys of paul there were times where he had less than nothing a nothing that i have never experienced yeah where he has nothing to the point where his life is eking away from him he's just been stoned and left for dead he's had nothing but content how on earth does that happen i don't know
0: he was constantly under threat of suffering and the holy spirit he says was stirring up within him this knowledge of some of the suffering that was to come constantly.
1: And I can read that Philippians passage and immediately think of my life. Are there times in my life, as I look back, where I've had less and more? Are there times of abundance and peace? Are there times of turmoil and doubt? Sure. Will there be times in the future with all of those things? Yes. So I do want this contentment that transcends all of those circumstances. I want to learn to have contentment. It's great that Paul did, but my question, I don't know about you, my question is, okay, how? How? I want what he has. I want to learn like he's learning. I mean, how do I do that?
0: Can I just jump in before we go to the how and just note on something that I think is so fascinating with what you just said, and it's really a repeat of what Paul has said, but he doesn't just focus on the negative in Philippians 4, right? He doesn't just say, I've learned to be content in want, in poverty or in suffering, but he says he's content on the other side as well, in the positives. And really, I love that statement. He says, Mm -hmm. I've learned not to want, right? And it's... It's the opposite of the grass is always greener Mm -hmm. approach. He's okay with whatever his circumstances, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't necessarily need for them to change for poorer or better. Mm -hmm. He's just okay with it all. I just think that's such an interesting contrast that, again, going back to what you said, the peace that surpasses understanding, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around why it would be hard to be content when things are going well. And yet he specifically mentions that he is content in those times as well. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want more. He's okay with where he's at. Mm -hmm. Interesting to me. Very
1: interesting. And so the question stands, how did he get there, right? let's get back. What was on the syllabus that got him to learn this contentment? I just want to take us to two passages. It's not exhaustive, but it will give us some hints as to what brought him to that place and how you and I can grow in contentment to a place like Paul sure so I want to go to 2nd Corinthians and then to Hebrews so 2nd Corinthians chapter 9 verses 6 through 9 says this it says now this I say he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully each one must do just as he has purpose in his heart not grudgingly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest to your righteousness. So we have this idea. It's, it's set in the context. You heard that that statement on giving generously. And we talked about this in our main church service, but I don't believe that tithing is appropriate today in this era. I don't think that is a New Testament concept.
0: i getting I've, really bold on the podcast. Yeah,
1: I think I'm done away with tithing. There's no such thing anymore. That is a Mosaic law thing and we are not under the law. Here is what we're called to do, which actually ups the ante, I would say. It's harder. It's harder. Give generously. God loves a cheerful gi- uh, giver. Whatever is on your heart, give to the Lord. And we are to give and... But here's this context of, we're talking about contentment. And here Paul is writing that out of this generosity, he's trusting in the Lord. Okay, so hold on to that because we're going to get to Hebrews in a moment. But he's talking about being generous to the point that it hurts. Lord has put something on my heart. I'm giving generously. And then he talks about how God is able to make all grace abound to you. So God is giving. Okay, so hold on to that. Now we go to Hebrews chapter 13. I don't know if you wanted to comment on that at all.
0: I just think it's amazing that you took a comfortability and contentment podcast and turned it into a podcast on giving. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That is a spiritual gift. So Hebrews chapter 13, and this is a little bit longer of a section, verses one through six. Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. And those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. Now notice we're talking about generosity here. Hospitality, caring for prisoners. It's not giving to the church, but it's still a sacrificial giving, a generosity. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Now, I go to those passages just to illustrate. So Paul in Philippians is saying, I'm content in all things. And then you go to Hebrews and you go to 2 Corinthians. And there's this pattern developing where there's generosity. We're giving from what we have. And then we're trusting the Lord. The Lord is my help. So we're giving recklessly, we're giving to a place that it hurts, we're giving whatever's on my heart to give, but at the same time, I'm trusting the Lord to come through. And I think if those two things are employed, we can move toward contentment. How did Paul get to a place that no matter what circumstance, he was content, he didn't have a love of money, he, didn't have, he was giving it away, he was generous, and he was trusting the Lord to provide.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that's how we grow in contentment. Money is not sinful. Sure. We know that it's the love of money. It's that dependence upon money. It becomes idolatrous. It steals glory from God. It calls us to rely on ourselves and what we can produce. It can't if you give it away. So you give it away generously, and then you trust the Lord that he's going to continue to meet all your needs. And when you do that over and over again, you're training yourself to trust him. You're not relying on money. And that's how I think we grow in contentment, no matter what circumstance.
0: Mm-hmm. I think even when Paul was giving his kind of final words to the Ephesian elders before passing on to Jerusalem, he talked about the idea that, you know, that from the beginning, I've given everything and I've never asked anything in return. If God blesses me, great. But like, Mm -hmm. I'm not here expecting more. I'm just doing what I need to do. His focus is on what he can give rather than receive. And he he quotes Jesus in saying that in some ways as well. And it's really that focus on the best way to be content is to Focus on what I'm doing and to pour out into others, perhaps.
1: I think so. I think one of the keys to contentment, regardless of comfort, and this is how they're connected, kind of regardless of the level of comfort, God is my comfort, but regardless of my circumstances that may be uncomfortable, to be honest, the key to contentment, regardless of comfort, is sacrificial generosity rooted in a trust in God to continue to provide. So it's a sacrificial generosity I'm giving away because my hope is not in these things. I'm going to trust the Lord who has provided up to this point in my life and who has promised to provide going forward. And that's how I grow in contentment, regardless of the comfort of this world, trusting the comforter to continue to help me endure.
0: And I mean, you use the word sacrificial in there too. And logically, can we argue that something is sacrificial if it doesn't at least cause some discomfort Mm -hmm. in the process? Or is that really a sacrifice if it doesn't? Right.
1: I'll be honest, Like this was a struggle for me not that long ago, this contentment piece. There was probably some covetousness as I looked around and saw the people my age that were further ahead, it seemed, economically, from what I could see. Sure. And envy started to creep in. And when my wife and I were in school, uh, the Lord broke us of our financial dependency because we had none. We had no money, and we had to rely on him. And it was super uncomfortable, I'll be honest. It was super uncomfortable. It brought me to my knees in prayer. It brought me to bouts of huge frustration and confusion. Lord, do you not want us doing this? Why are you not? And yet he always provided. We look back on that time, and the Lord came through in some amazing ways. But it was through those really tough four, five years that he broke me a little bit. He moved me toward a more of a contented place but it was not comfortable to get there. But I praise him for it because I'm more comfortable now in trusting him as the comforter and the one that I can rely on. I'm more comfortable being generous because I know he continues to provide just like he did before. And so we want to be cautious becoming angry with God or disappointed with God when he doesn't provide or when he allows discomfort to come into our life. Yeah, Because he is so providential and gracious that he can bring some really And he will bring some really great growth out of those times that we can celebrate later on.
0: And I think that applies to so many areas in our lives beyond money as well. And I know you're not saying it's only that. That's how Mm. graciously God has worked it out in your life in a way that you're able to look back at that Ebenezer, if Mm -hmm. you will, in your life. And I think this applies in our, our family situations when we're sure. relationally, when we're looking for relationships or in situations of career or growth or sure. the possessions we have or where we live. Or It's so easy to just get focused on the other, to focus on the comparison, to look at the grass on the other side, to have that comparison sort of trap, um, as some have called it over the years rather than focusing on what we do have and relying on God to provide for our needs, which is, I think, what you just said.
1: I think you're exactly right. I think this goes beyond just money. The Lord Jesus did talk about money more than almost anything else uh, during his earthly ministry because it is a perennial issue for us. And certainly in our culture today, it is a perennial and hard issue to, to wrestle with as Christians. But you're exactly right. We can become envious. We can become covetous of so many things other than just financial stability, status, whatever, the family relationships, all those kinds of things. And am I content with the lot the Lord has given me in life? That does not stop me from being proactive and intentional and having a, I want to say this cautiously, a godly ambition to learn and to grow and to do those things. But at the same time, it's contentment in that process, just like Paul was in Philippians 4.
0: hmm Uh, Josette, thanks for the chat today. Listener, our prayer for you today is that uh, you would be comforted by the God of all comfort and peace and that together as we try and learn this learnable thing that Paul talked about, contentment, that we would grow in it together, that we would be encouraged and comforted in the tough times and that we would see the ways that God has brought us to the end of ourselves and he has been there nonetheless. So I pray contentment for all of us as we go from this place. Have a great week. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information.